By all appearances, QAnon wants to disable the American experiment. How ironic that they are targeting and succeeding in recruiting people who consider themselves patriots to derail their country and the values upon which it was built. These theories thrived in an environment of conspiracy eventually leading to an attack on the United States Capitol in which five people lost their lives and the safety of legislators was threatened. Politics does go a long way in creating a toxic cocktail of faith and nationalism that far too often leaves the door wide open for entities like QAnon to get their voices heard and worse, taken seriously. From the time they can understand, these people are taught that proof is irrelevant and that faith provides the relevance to any fucked up point of view they wish to hold. This upsurge in belief in conspiracy theory is dangerous. It's dangerous to individuals, to local churches, and to our nation. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. You said it. I believe it. That settles it. Now hand me my boomstick and get out of my way, praise God. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this week we are looking at the subject of conspiracy theory and why so many Christians buy into it. And I think you're going to be surprised at some of the perspectives that we're going to bring to the table and who actually agrees with us on this. It's pretty interesting when you realize that there are just a little spoiler alert here, but there are people within their own ranks that understand where this comes from and think that even as Christians, they should be thinking differently. And we're going to be getting into much more of that in just a few minutes. But of course, before we do any of that, I'm going to be handing over the mic to my co-host, who once again has two, I don't know, should we call them lighthearted stories? They're they're two stories. They're not not gloom and doom, but they're not good. They're just... Silly. I mean, it's like they got their silly season in right now. Right. But, I mean, the silly season never really ends. No. It's just a little bit of levity to lead into the tension, I guess, (laughs) with with what we're going to be talking about later. So what do you have for us first for this week's edition of Christians Behaving Badly? Well, in the We Reject This Reality and Substitute Our Own department, live streaming from his car last Wednesday, right-wing pastor... Todd Coconato. I love that name. <laughs> yes. Claimed that Christians are questioning whether Joe Biden is really president because they know that God's mantle of anointing is still on former President Donald Trump. Oh, come on. It's been five months. It's been five fucking months. Get over it. That's what you told us to do. Yeah, Your right? guy lost. Get over it. <laughs> well, guess what? Your guy lost. Get, Get the over fuck it. over it already. It's been five months. People say, well, you still think President Trump might become president again, Coconado said on his YouTube channel. I do because I prayed about it. And I'll tell you what God said to me was kind of shocking. I don't think it was shocking. Um, <laughs> Nothing that God says shocks me. No, 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 no. And he goes on. When I prayed about if we'd ever see President Trump as our president again, God just reminded me that he's the one that chooses the leadership, not us, Coconado continued. 
I think he's a little coconado. Yeah, I think so too. He allows certain things to happen, but he also responds to the prayers of the righteous. And what he was telling me is that just like David, President Trump has the mantle of leadership, has the anointing of leadership. The mantle and the anointing. Both of them. He's doubly blessed. It's, I mean, like, there's not much to say about him. Because, I mean, it's amazing how God's voice echoes the wants and desires of the person praying. Of course. And that's standard practice. And I will go back to that quote from Susan B. Anthony. She really had it spot on. She did. But, yeah, he's one of just many evangelical pastors who are predicting Trump's uh, triumphant return, even though Coconado concedes that it would depend on if Trump was feeling up to it per Newsweek. Well, there's there, there's always some kind of an out. Yes, just in case he's not feeling up to it as a however old he is man who eats like two Big Macs and two Filet-O-Fish sandwiches. Two Big Macs Every and two time he goes to Mickey D's. Oh my God, you know, at my worst, when I was in the throes of my McDonald's addiction, and yes, I know, it's not a real thing, but just work with me for a second here. When I was in the mode of eating that food, like literally every day, I never ate it in that volume. No. Never. Oh, never. I can't imagine why he's not 600 pounds. I, I he's don't not know. a small guy. Yeah, I don't know how. But I can't how imagine he... how he is less than like 600 because I know what it did to me and I know what it did to me in really really short order too and I was not eating it like that but evangelicals propelled Trump to the White House in 2016 and he earned the label the most pro-life president in history during his time in office ahead of the 2020 elections some religious leaders believed Trump would win because it would be God's will in the wake of his loss some backed off the prediction Others, such as Pastor Jeff Jansen, we talked about him last week, Mm -hmm. have swung the other way, spreading the belief that Trump will return to office before the next election. He told attendees of a RAIN conference that Trump is still president and to prepare for a shift that the whole world is going to witness. Jansen, who previously predicted the military would put Trump back in office by the end of April, told followers to watch what the Lord does by April 25th because people will be dancing in the streets. Coconado made it abundantly clear to Newsweek that he does not believe Trump will return to the Oval Office before the next election as it would be extremely unlikely. It's beyond unlikely. It's an impossibility. It is an impossibility. You know, I, I think about this. And the way that these people are thinking, it's a form of trauma bonding, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, they look at this person who did absolutely no good while he was in office. Oh, yeah. And is still up to no good now that he's out of office. I don't know precisely what it is that they do see here. But I do know a thing or two about people in abusive relationships and the people who love this guy the most are definitely trauma bonded to him. Oh, yeah. They just, they, they have to see. Outwardly, it's impossible to not see the train wreck that that presidency was. You right. have to be able to see it. But to these people, it doesn't matter because this person is what they've built up in their mind to be the be all end-all of their existence and the only hope for their religion in this country 
And well, I still, I mean, I understand. Intellectually, I understand. But I just can't imagine. How many examples do you need? How badly does this person have to fuck up in front of the world before you just realize he's a fuck up? Well, he did put a lot of conservative judges in federal spots. So that's what they're really gunning for. They want a theocracy. They think they want a theocracy. Oh, yeah. They think so. They think so. They they think so. But once you actually have it and you understand what you've given up vis-a-vis your rights and like all of them, these people are so big on their rights and yet they are gunning for a governmental system that will literally take all of those rights away from them. Right. And it still, it just boggles my mind how they can look at this guy and say, you know, America would be a better place if this person was still in office. Yeah. I mean, I just, just the way that he handled COVID, just that one thing alone should be enough of a red flag for anyone Right. But for whatever reason, these people, they're trauma bonded to their surrogate savior and they just cannot envision life without him in that Oval Office. It's weird. It's very weird. It's very weird. So moving right along, what's your second story for us tonight? Our second story is about our favorite right wing pillow manufacturer, good old Mike Lindell who tells us his free speech platform, now revealed to be called Frank, will be totally all about free speech. Oh, totally. But they're not going to go crazy about it. While talking about his new platform on Eric, Eric McTexas' show, he made it very clear that speech on his new platform will not be quite as free as one might have imagined, announcing that users will not be allowed to swear or use the name of the Lord in vain because Frank's speech will be a Judeo-Christian platform founded on biblical principles. I just, like, what biblical principles do they have for an internet forum? You know, whenever I see the term biblical principles, that also raises a red flag in my head. Yes. Because I know what biblical principles look like. And there's, there's no morality no. behind any of it. No, and there really isn't. Honestly, I don't think that Yahweh gives two fucks about free speech either. No. So, and the way that they've got this set up doesn't surprise me in the least. Oh, we're going to be a free speech platform, but you can't say this, 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 and this. Yeah. How marvelously evangelical of them. Yes. People ask me, you're going to let everything go? Porn, swearing, everything? And I said, absolutely not. I love porn. (laughs) We have a thing we found in the Constitution and our founding fathers that defines what free speech is. And Eric, get this. This Judeo-Christian platform we're going to have here, they go by biblical principles. You know, you get to the Supreme Court, you have the Ten Commandments there. So, in other words, you're not going to have porn up there. You're not going to have these sites that contain material that go against our Constitution, go against what our founding fathers put in there. So porn goes against the Constitution? Look, I just read that whole thing, and I'm still not quite sure what he's saying. I'm not sure he knows what he's saying. I'm not sure what in the Constitution defines what free speech is he's about as coherent as 45 i mean it sounds like the same kind of tangent well yeah they can talk to each other that's why they're buddies Mm -hmm. 
You're not going to be able to swear, Lyndall added. There will be four words for sure you can't say. You can't say the C word, the N word, the F word, and you can't use God's name in vain. So I what guess a he's a fan of shit. I guess. I guess. I guess he's okay with words like shit. I guess. Wow, Metaxas responded. That's really puritanical. I like it. Of course you do. He also made it clear that he wouldn't suppress true free speech, which is apparently talking about things or people you might disagree with. He will apparently be suppressing lying, though. So that's good, right? Well, I mean, define lying. Yes. Because it sounds to me like there's going to be quite a bit of lying on this Frank platform. Well, that depends on who is vetting everything that people talk about on his faux Twitter platform. (laughs) Whenever it actually becomes live because it's had two failed tries at a launch. When you go there, it's just a landing page and a tiny screen for the live stream currently running. And I'm not sure if this is still called the Frankathon or if it's just like a continuous live stream for the YouTube portion of his faux Twitter platform. When I see Frankathon, I think about what uh, Brad and Janet walked into that yes, night. Yes, right. That was definitely a that Frankathon. That was a Frankathon. On his talk show for his new platform. It was called the Frankathon for 48 hours at least. Mm-hmm. He received many prank phone calls because he has no call screener. And he was using his personal phone. Oh, I, my I just, God. He just, he gave his phone number to the world. Apparently. Twitter user at uh, ZT Patrizzo posted a few short videos of the live stream with examples on a Twitter thread on April 19th. The first post reads, things are only getting worse for my pillow CEO, Mike Lindell, as he attempts to hold a 48-hour Frankathon event, as he is now being trolled by callers who apparently got a hold of his phone number. As he gave it to them, yeah. Yeah. The video clips are actually pretty pitiful, showing a Mike Lindell taking unscreened, unvetted phone calls and getting upset when quite a few of them turned out to be prank calls. Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) This is what they're doing to us. This is an attack. One of the calls pretended to be Donald Trump and got on air as well. Also of note is guest Ben Carson, who legitimately looks stoned, as well as the poor quality of the filming with the hosts playing on their phones while guests are talking and the camera slowly panning back to the hosts, eliminating the guests entirely from the screen. This is a real professional operation it's a he's got going there, isn't operation. it? I really hope that Lindell has saved a few pillows for himself because he's going to want them to scream into, because this just seems like an exercise in frustration. You know, I watched some of those clips. Yeah. And now I can't get inside this guy's head. No. But I feel like a lot of this stuff is like going right over his head. The way that he responds to it. Now, he did a couple of times. He came out and said, okay, this is a prank call or whatever. But... There were also a couple of times where it just felt like he was rolling with it to the point that he didn't understand that he was being trolled. So I think it has to do with how it's done. I didn't uncover the clip with the fake Donald Trump. I would have loved to hear that. Just to to hear how much it actually sounded like him and how long it would take a normal person to realize that you were talking to an impersonator. It was a fairly decent impression of him. But it was only like a greeting. 
And then he just started cursing at him. Oh, my God. It was just terrible. Oh, and my I'm like, God. I could swear that looked like his phone number. They're spoofing the president's phone number. It's No, they're it's, not. I just feel like he's got way too much memory foam in his head from all the pillows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and breathing in the chemicals it, from the uh, from the factory. It yeah. just seems like he didn't understand what an undertaking this is, and you can't throw this stuff up in like a couple of months. It takes years to build a platform that's going to work. Well, it takes years to build a reputation. It doesn't take that long to build a platform, yeah. and it certainly shouldn't take that long to put together a web show. I right. mean, what he was doing, or what he is doing, with this uh he's he's touting this as kind of a what did he say a youtube and it twitter gonna, hybrid yeah he wanted a platform that he wouldn't get kicked off of well yeah so that means just like 45 that right. means making your own right at this point and that's what he's attempting to do but we're talking about someone who has experience in various forms of media it just looks to me like he's not taking it all that seriously himself. No. It doesn't seem like this is something that he feels a compulsion to do. It's more of an ego thing than it is him wanting to put out something that's going to be of actual quality. This is a grab for attention. And it's also, and I'm sure that in his mind, he is seeing this as a way that he is going to eventually start monetizing the shit out of this. But, but it's never going to happen. Yeah, and he's also brought another lawsuit against Dominion. And it's like, how do you have the money to do all of this? I think the answer is that he doesn't. No, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. People have stopped buying his pillows. They, I saw a huge end cap of them in Ocean State Job Lot. Really? Yeah. So there are still retailers that are bold enough to carry this shit. Yeah, but it's all like sold at a mega discount because they got to get rid of them. Right. Yeah, the, I mean, it's. I'm, I can certainly see that. Just call them something else. Yeah. Don't don't let me know that this guy's name yeah. is on it. I can't even think of having one of his products in my house. Yeah. No, so. it's ridiculous. But I love this segment because it makes it that much more clear to me why I'm so thankful that I don't think that way anymore. Right. Because in this guy's mind. He's doing something bigger than he's actually doing. But I also don't think that he takes it all that seriously. I feel like he believes that the messaging itself is going to carry this. Right. And that's why he's not making that much of an effort to make it a good entertainment medium. Because he's banking on God doing most of the work here and getting yeah. the message out. And again, it just makes me that much more thankful that... Yeah we've learned how to think differently that we understand that if we are the ones that are going to accomplish anything in life we're the ones that have to do it yeah and we have to do it well mm -hmm. and especially if you are using some kind of a platform to relay some kind of message i'm not saying that we have the most sleek and streamlined operation here with this show um far from it Right. Really, we're still sitting at our dining room table, and our cats still come in and meow in the <laughs> middle of our uh, in the middle of our recording sessions. But at least we care enough about what we have to say to try to present it in a way that is listenable mm -hmm. and respectable, and done in a manner that just lets the people that bother to listen to us know 
that we do have their best interest at heart, that we care about where they are, where they've been and where they're going. And that I think is a very good segue into just letting people know that our Patreon is out there. If you have the means to help us, we have a lot of good things planned for upcoming episodes, upcoming shows, and also some ideas that I want to take off the back burner and start running with a little bit more. But in order to do that, I need a little thing called time. I need to be able to liberate a few more hours in my week and just be able to focus on this and what we're doing here. If you can help us out, then by all means, hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. And if you don't, just like always, we want you to sit back, relax, enjoy the show and get what you need out of it and let someone else know that we are out there this week who can also benefit from the message that we put out there. And as always, we thank you for coming back week after week and hearing what we have to say. For those of you who interact with us online, we thank you for being involved and for just encouraging us to continue. I really do appreciate the people that are behind us right now. Whether you have the means to support us financially or not, we are just glad that you're here. And please just get what you need out of what we are doing. And if there's anything that you think we could be doing better, it doesn't take a monetary donation to make those recommendations or to just let us know what you personally need because we're doing this for you. And we want to know what you need and we want to know what you want us talking about and any other comments or feedback that you have. We want that too. We want this to be your show, not just about us and our platform and the way that we see things and the things that are important to us. You guys are the listeners. We need to know what's important to you too. That's my appeal for this week. If you can support us financially, fantastic. If not, again, just tell someone else about us this week and tell us what we can be doing better here. So with that, Let's get right into our main topic. So why are evangelicals such easy prey for conspiracy theorists? It's not like they're behind most of it. They really aren't. And there are plenty of people out there who don their tinfoil hats who don't carry Bibles. On the surface, like I said at the beginning, the answer should be easy. We're talking about a group of people who have been taught from infancy in many cases to regard sensationalistic and clearly fictional content as fact. And we're talking primarily about the Bible, but also some of the wild stories that you hear from the pulpit and some of the crazy shit that they try to pull off, especially we when we talked a while ago about these traveling ministry groups oh, yeah. and the sob stories that they always show up with. Well, you know, they have very good reason to believe that their stories are going to be bought hook, line, and sinker. And they often are. And in terms of the Bible, you know, it's not good enough for things like the creation myth to be allegorical. No, 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 no. But that that girl existed. That snake existed. The sin problem really was encapsulated in a piece of fruit and a decision. A dude actually actually lost his superhuman strength because the girl he was fucking cut his hair. A bunch of people literally destroyed a structure that modern demolition equipment would find difficult to fall just by yelling at it. Christians are taught to take all of this literally. And they're taught not to question authority. And by authority, I mean anyone who seems to know more about something than they do and has enough Jesus to back up their message. Yeah. 
And yes, they do come up with their own conspiracies. I mean, just look at the satanic panic. But like with anything else, they're largely one-trick ponies. The conspiracies they manufacture usually revolve around the supernatural. It takes outside sources to fuel the flames of things like COVID denial and anti-vaxxing and anything that doesn't have a direct spiritual lean. But there is way more to it than that. We're going to examine some of the deeper reasons why some Christians, particularly evangelicals, buy into so much conspiracy absent of any kind of logic, counter-argument, or proof. It all begins with this pervasive notion that runs through all of Christianity that everything that happens in life is somehow part of a larger divine plan. It's the classic good versus evil scenario that has been long permeating American culture, along with many others around the world, of course, but we are really, really good at this in the U.S. Just look at our entertainment industry. What are the popular movies that have been out there for a while now? Most of them are superhero movies. You've got the good versus evil motif that runs through almost everything. And it's not just superhero movies. It's most movies. Yeah. It doesn't even matter what the genre is. This notion of good versus evil is one of the most pervasive themes in entertainment. And I think there's a degree of truth to that when you apply it to pretty much anywhere. But boy, are we committed to it here. (laughs) We really are committed to this kind of messaging, this kind of storytelling. It's what sells tickets in this country. So I was looking at an article from Deseret.com called why would christians embrace conspiracy theories and again it's one of those things where this didn't surprise me but i still found it a little bit shocking just seeing the numbers in front of me quote around four in ten religious americans who are members of a local congregation believe the results of the 2020 election were not legitimate according to the january 2021 american perspective survey a study conducted by the survey center on american life a project of the American Enterprise Institute based in Washington, D.C. Just under one in five accept the QAnon conspiracy theory that former President Donald Trump has been fighting a cabal of child sex traffickers led by Democrats and Hollywood elites. Wow. Again, David A.R. White, are you listening? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fodder right there. Yeah. The Reverend Mark Fugit pastor of Round Grove Baptist Church in Miller, Missouri, is one of many religious leaders who has noticed an increase in conspiracy theater chatter in the local church. What was once a fleeting, sometimes sort of thing has become more commonplace since the days leading up to and during the 45th presidential administration. He said, quote, I would say that we have a lot more people who are QAnon adjacent. They're sharing content and repeating stories, and they have no idea where they are from. He also stated that things he hears from his congregants about QAnon and other conspiracy theories are, quote, rooted in fear. No surprise there. The fear factor, it's not just for local churches anymore. Now, let's quickly define what QAnon is if anyone is still fuzzy on this. From the same source, QAnon is a web of wide-ranging conspiracy theories that has gained increasing attention since 2016 when it came to public attention during the presidential campaign. It is propagated by someone referred to as Q, 
who claims to have access to insider information, which is doled out to the public in bits and pieces known as Q-drops. Why not Q-tips? On social media sites. Among QAnon's conspiracy theories, which have been widely debunked and discredited, is the idea that former President Donald Trump is fighting a global ring of child sex traffickers. Right. And the wiki for it goes into much greater detail. I just don't want to sit here and talk about them all night. So I'm just putting the link to the wiki right there in the show notes. And if you don't know a whole lot about QAnon, well, you'll know everything that you ever wanted to know and more when you read this. And I'm just going to sort of leave that there. And just as a little bit of a preview, it has a pure flicks abuse victim movie vibe to it that i don't think even uh, that david a.r white would really be able to pick up and run with getting back to the deseret.com article there's another quote here that i thought was interesting QAnon represents a consolidation and repackaging of various fears and conspiracy theories that have attracted people for decades, if not centuries, said Joseph Usinski, co-author of American Conspiracy Theories and a professor at the University of Miami. Quote, those things predate QAnon. The problem is that QAnon adopted them. Their messaging isn't even unique, just very sharply focused and presented in a way that appeals to their target audience. Now, whether QAnon is really just one person or a network of subversives, and I think the latter is a lot more likely at this point, even if it didn't start out that way. One thing about QAnon is clear. It operates with a goal of weaponizing evangelicals and using that toxic cocktail of faith and nationalism as the explosive in every bomb they drop on social media. And their plan is working. I keep thinking about Ender's Game. And how one kid from galaxies away managed to take down an entire alien race in an initiative based largely on conspiracy theory and prejudice. By all appearances, QAnon wants to disable the American experiment. How ironic that they are targeting and succeeding in recruiting people who consider themselves patriots to derail their country and the values upon which it was built. And... They figured out early who their most effective mouthpieces would be. It only took a week before QAnon started playing the scripture card. They played right into the hands of white evangelicals, and their message has been gaining momentum ever since. And to me, there has to be more to it. There has to be more to it. But I won't get into my own theories here, only because I know just how easily crazy breeds crazy, and I prefer to broker, in fact not create my own conspiracy theories. But mark my words, people, there's a reason why they targeted white evangelicals. And that reason, as far as I'm concerned, is very sinister. Getting back to the article, the same pastor agrees that this upsurge in belief in conspiracy theory is dangerous. It's dangerous to individuals, to local churches, and to our nation. What he doesn't get around to saying is that this is the monster that he and many others have made. And they made it by perpetuating the concept of a little thing called faith. You don't have to see it to believe it. That's faith in a nutshell right there. American evangelical churches are finally starting to reap what they have sown. And we have seen graphic examples of how, most of which having to do with American politics just in the last few months. And politics does go a long way in creating a toxic cocktail of faith and nationalism that far too often leaves the door wide open for entities like QAnon to get their voices heard and worse, taken seriously. 
We're going to look in depth at how both of those things and more factor into this insane perpetuation of misinformation in just a few. But for right now, I want to take a look at this problem from a directly insider perspective. The author of this article is a pastor, a pastor, clearly on the liberal side of things, but still an evangelical pastor who flat out admits that there are three key reasons why there's a sucker born into a Christian family every minute and why they're so impressionable. This is from an article called Faith, Apocalypse, and Nationalism, Why Evangelicals Are Vulnerable to Conspiracy Theories by Joel Lawrence. Pastor Joel Lawrence, quote, many of us have found ourselves in conversations with believing friends or family who have come to believe these conspiracies. In addition, many of our churches have become devotees of them, posting their views on Facebook, Twitter, or Parler. We are living in a time of wild conspiracy theories, from Pizzagate to QAnon, to the notion that COVID is a hoax, and the vaccine an instrument of corporate control. In the aftermath of the 2020 presidential election, these theories have broken out in the open as President Trump, along with his advisors and lawyers, claimed without presenting actionable evidence in court that the vote was rigged. According to the presidential narrative, this vast conspiracy involved Hugo Chavez, Dominion voting machines, Republican governors and secretaries of state, Democratic poll workers in largely African-American cities, Antifa, and countless others. These theories thrived in an environment of conspiracy, eventually leading to an attack on the United States Capitol in which five people lost their lives and the safety of legislators was threatened. As pastors, we must ask, how have we arrived at the place where millions of Christians have placed their faith in these theories, which have no grounding in reality? I kind of like this guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. if we get to the point where we are living in a theocracy and some judge sentences me to church, I'd probably go to this guy's church. Yeah. He definitely has a good head on his shoulders. And, you know, if we could just get him to move just a little bit further into the realm of reason here where he starts taking God a little bit more out of the equation, I think that he would be a really good mouthpiece for our side. I definitely yeah. do. I read every word of this article and I liked most of it. He does get a little preachy toward the end, but I definitely recommend reading it. And again, it's going to be right there in the show notes. Just click and read. I think that you will agree with me. This guy has some very, very good ideas. And he springboards off of everything that he said there by highlighting three key elements of the experience of evangelicalism that are likely culprits to this propensity for believing conspiracy theory. The first one I just mentioned a couple minutes ago is the simple concept of faith. And a couple of his own words here to state the manifestly obvious, faith is essential to Christianity, but conspiracy theories also operate by faith. Let's not forget that, that it takes a lot of faith to believe this shit. And then there's the concept of looking behind the appearances for a larger narrative. And the immediate thought that I had with this one was the whole thing with alternative facts. Yeah. I mean, when I first heard that phrase, my reaction to it was shock and then anger because who believes in any such thing? Well, guess what? These are the people that believe that. Yeah. And that messaging was not aimed at people like us. It was aimed at people like them because now the notion of alternative facts yeah. is in people's minds. So 
the truth really doesn't matter at that point because there's the truth and then there are the alternative facts. They're looking behind the appearances to find a larger narrative. Our friend Mr. Lawrence goes on to say that many evangelicals in the Trump years looked for patterns and actors lurking behind the appearances and so were captured by theories with no basis in reality because their training in faith taught them not to believe that reality is all there is. And I liked this one in particular. A common observation regarding conspiracy theories is that they thrive in times of disruption. The QAnon conspiracy exploded in popularity when the COVID pandemic hit, incorporating theories about COVID as a bioweapon unleashed on the world in order to assert a new world order. Belief in Trump's claims about the election are fueled by fears of the end of Christian America or the triumph of the secular and the destruction of our way of life. I'm sorry, your way of life is not going to be destroyed under secularism. Your freedom of religion is going to be even more hotly protected. Right. It's just that you're going to keep it in your own fucking corner and leave us out of it. Is that right. okay with you? Um, experts tell us that these theories grow in times of disruption because the human psyche has difficulty dealing with the uncertainty and fragility of life. And that's very, very true. Why on earth do people cling to these beliefs about heaven and hell and there being anything after we die? Because... It's something that we don't have the answers to. And we talked about this a little bit last week, too, where you don't have the answer to a question. So the answer must be God. And they cling to these thoughts of God because God is in charge of what happens to them after they die. As far as they're concerned, he goes on to explain the thought process and how quickly the evangelical mind gets steered in the direction of conspiracy. Something couldn't really wipe out our entire species, could it? Isn't God greater than that? It must be some kind of hoax. Bill Gates trying to microchip us or something. You see where it just goes from one extreme to the other. So because we don't have an answer to the question, all of a sudden it just has to be this far out thing because their faith is such a far out thing. And there's nothing simple in terms of explanation for anything when it comes to God. So there can't be a simple explanation to any of this either. It has to be a hoax and there has to be something sinister behind it. So who are we going to point the finger at? Well, let's talk about Bill Gates and microchips, I guess. Who gives a fuck? And then he says something else interesting here, which is, um, it's, it's a biblical concept. It's, he says, faith is not dependent on sight. This right here is the central reason why these people never need proof of anything. They just decide to believe shit and they believe it because seeing may be believing, but the two don't necessarily have to go together. Think of the story of Doubting Thomas in John 20 or Paul urging us to walk by faith, not by sight in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Over and over again, we hear the same message oozing out of the pages of the New Testament. Belief, good, asking for proof, bad. This is the core message in those two examples. We also see it in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see through a glass darkly, then we shall see face to face. And in the litany of ways people exercise their faith chronicled in Hebrews 11. From the time they can understand, these people are taught that proof is irrelevant and that Faith provides the relevance to any fucked up point of view they wish to hold. The more I think about this, the more I feel, the more I think about this, the more I feel for the average pew sitter and 
you know, that's true. There's my empathetic side coming out. Um, they're part of this, but I feel for them. How utterly deprived they've been of the luxury, the luxury of independent thought. You know, we take it for granted because we're allowed to think the way that we want to. Right. These people, they remain in this place where it's not even an option that's presented to them. It pulls at my heartstrings to think of how incapable, incapable their faith has made them to apply reason to anything. Again, it's not their fault. It's the fault of the system that just plugs their brains full of this shit and doesn't leave room for them to question any of it. I can't imagine, I personally cannot imagine living inside a mind that is that much of a prison. Even when I was one of them, I still had a big enough window to the world outside open in my head to know that there was a bigger world out there and that it offered more than what I was settling for. Most never even make it that far in thinking about this. Most never understand concepts like facts and truth in any mature adult way because there's no one in their life that is actively teaching these things to them. The second thing that Pastor Lawrence, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to respect the guy. He's a respectable guy. Next thing Pastor Lawrence brings up here is the concept of apocalyptic thought. And he says, quote, large segments of evangelical Christians have been trained to look for a roadmap to the future in apocalyptic literature, especially the book of Revelation. Remember the whole Wormwood Chernobyl thing? Oh, yeah. that's, I think that's oh, one yeah. of the biggest ones in my lifetime. Oh, definitely. With the word Chernobyl being translated to Wormwood and Wormwood being the name of the star that falls to earth and poisons right. a third of the waters and mm -hmm. all of that. Um, and he goes on to say this apocalyptic fervor creates a ready market for prophets who make claims to have heard from God what exactly it is he is doing in a particular historical event. In this time, untold numbers of prophets have made claims about the election, declaring that God has raised up President Trump as his instrument for saving Christian America, and that God has declared that Trump would have a second term. These prophets claimed to receive a word from the Lord and have called millions of their followers to trust their word, their word. Mm. Therefore, anything that would stymie President Trump's second election must involve satanic forces manipulating the deep state or election software algorithms or what have you. Having declared that a political figure is God's elect instrument, the prophet is able to reveal the dark forces working to destroy God's chosen leader. Lawrence then goes on to explain that apocalyptic thinking breeds violence and cites the storming of the Capitol as a manifestation of prophecy-fueled violence. Yeah. The last point that he makes here is about nationalism. At the heart of Christian nationalism is the notion that America is a unique instrument of God in the world. Many evangelicals believe that America plays a central role in the book of Revelation and that we are the power that rises up and demonstrates the true power of God to the world. We are the shining city on a hill, as it were. They think that America has been somehow chosen by God to be the force that carries out his will in the world even now. And their message is that we have to start now if we're going to be the global presence needed to take down the Antichrist. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. 
you know, I smell another David A.R. White movie coming on, although I think it's been done already to a degree. We'll just not think about the Road Warrior state of affairs he depicts in his Revelation Road movies for just a sec. Because if America is supposed to be this great shining light on a hill, Mm. then why is it depicted like that? Yeah. Because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. And it sells subscriptions. That's why. But Christian nationalism is primarily about three things. It is about securing and protecting Christian values. I think immediately of the moral majority and the way that that one group managed to get this whole ball rolling yeah. with the involvement of evangelicalism in politics. Then there's the imposition of Christian morals on law and governance. Um, Sharia law, anyone? Mm. Does this sound like a good thing to you? It sure as fuck doesn't sound like a good thing to me. And then there's the belief that we, and by we I mean atheists and secularists, are the enemy. And that as a people belonging to God, this country has the obligation to silence us, vilify us, and taint the reputation and interpretation of all things secular and establish governance from a God-driven perspective. Pastor Lawrence then says, quote, the sense that America is being taken over by godless secularists, thereby threatening America's status as a blessed nation, is an important factor for understanding why so many evangelicals voted for Trump and why so many were willing to believe him as he promoted conspiracy theories. He is seen as a person who can manfully defend Christian America from her enemies and who was raised up by God to do the hard work of total culture war even if it means he's a bit uncouth and perhaps not exactly a paragon of the moral virtue that American Christianity ostensibly is committed to ensuring. Character matters when the president is a liberal, but when he's a conservative fighting conservative battles to save America's status as blessed, character is less important than effectiveness. Mm. Now to tie this all together, let's look at a little conspiracy theory that cropped up in 2016 and was the observable catalyst to the rise of QAnon. I'm speaking, of course, of Pizzagate. It was the conspiracy theory that gave rise to the levels of toxic, violent allegiance to 45 and the surge of hatred of all things liberal. Hillary Clinton was abusing kids in the basement of a DC pizza parlor. I mean, just read that sentence aloud a few times and marvel as it just starts sounding crazier and crazier and crazier. But where did it all start? Well. Here is a very, very basic timeline for Pizzagate. November of 2016, right before the election, John Podesta's emails are hacked and posted to WikiLeaks. One of the emails between Podesta and James Elephantis, owner of Comet Ping Pong, a pizzeria in Washington, D.C., discussed Elephantis hosting a fundraiser for Clinton at the restaurant. Then 4chan users started churning up speculations about the shop being the headquarters for a sex trafficking ring that directly involved Hillary Clinton. The messaging spreads to far-right websites and social media pages. Someone posts a document that is alleged to offer proof of the allegations on Reddit. And this happens literally days before the election. A Turkish, Turkish news outlet starts tweeting details of the conspiracy theory with the hashtag Pizzagate. Social media posts start emphasizing the appeal of the business to children. Threats and harassment via social media predominantly begin to emerge against employees and customers of Comet Ping Pong, including death threats. 
A lone gunman then enters the restaurant making various demands. He's convinced that Hillary Clinton is on the premises and abusing children in the basement. And then Elephantis reaches out to major social media platforms trying to quell the spread of conspiracy-driven posts and is basically told to go fuck himself by Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit. Mm. Then this happened. This is a quote from Esquire.com. Quote, on the afternoon of Sunday, December 4th, 2016, 28-year-old Edgar Madison Welch of Salisbury, North Carolina, walked through the front door of Comet Ping Pong and pointed an assault rifle in the direction of an employee, according to the Associated Press. The employee fled and called police, but Welch fired his gun, possibly striking the wall, possibly, you, you couldn't tell, possibly striking the walls, door, and a computer. No one was hurt. Police surrounded the pizzeria, according to the Washington Post, which said Welch emerged about 45 minutes later, his hands in the air to surrender to authorities. He told police he'd gone to the restaurant to, quote, self-investigate reports of the child trafficking ring. He was carrying a Colt AR-45 rifle, because of course he was, and a Colt 38 handgun, because of course he also was, a shotgun, and a folding knife. Police charged him with assault with a dangerous weapon, other weapons, offenses, and destruction of property. A dangerous weapon? It was a fucking AR-15. That's, in my opinion, wouldn't that be a deadly weapon? Dangerous? You see, this is one of the many things that irritates me about this whole thing. It's like these people are being protected by the language that the press uses about them. A dangerous weapon. Fuck that. It was an AR-15. Could have taken somebody's goddamn head off. That is a deadly weapon. Don't make this guy sound less dangerous than he actually was. Earlier, Welch allegedly drove his Buick LeSabre into a teenage pedestrian in North Carolina. Nice guy. The 13-year-old, quote, suffered head, torso, and leg injuries. Welch stayed at the scene until police arrived, although a witness said it appeared that Welch didn't try to avoid striking the pedestrian. Mm. So he hit her on purpose, but hung around. Nice guy. This guy's got some issues. Yeah, a few. In a statement after the incident at Comet, Elephantis called out the dangers of fake news. He said, quote, what happened today demonstrates that promoting false and reckless conspiracy theories comes with consequences. I hope that those involved in fanning these flames will take a moment to contemplate what happened here today and stop promoting these falsehoods right away. Except they didn't. In 2019, Ryan Jaselskis, that's a mouthful right there. Ryan Jaselskis walked into the restaurant and set a curtain on fire. He was arrested, tried, and sentenced to four years in prison. In 2020, the whole thing churned up again, this time targeting a younger audience on TikTok and started being associated with QAnon. The theory has become less political, morphing into a vehicle to falsely accuse celebrities, including Christy Teigen and Ellen DeGeneres, along with brands like Wayfair. That's right. That's right. According to this popular and utterly laughable theory, Wayfair's catalog is a front for a sex trafficking business. How did they figure this out? Well, some of their products have female-centric names attached to them, so they must be selling sex with young girls, not furniture, right? What shows up in the box? I mean, come on. Now, as I was thinking about all of this, I almost wrote in my notes, what is the fascination with sex crimes in some of these theories? But it quickly occurred to me that with 
all recent conspiracies aside, sex is one of the key things that evangelicals really obsess over. They want to control what happens in our bedrooms, who we take there, when we take them there, how many we bring with us in there, how many bedrooms we personally visit, and how you dress and behave if you were born with a penis, how you dress and behave if you were born with a vagina. The authors of these theories play into these obsessions and insecurities, and it mobilizes people who are afraid of their own bodies and urges to respond in angry, violent, and visceral ways. At that point, it doesn't matter if it's factual. It's already personal. Now, this is the part of the episode where I typically try to offer some kind of solution or a call to action about how we can respond to the issue at hand. Honestly, this one is a big one, and I don't know if there really is anything actionable that we can do here aside from the same things I recommend about any kind of counter-argument with theists. Mostly what we can do here is keep presenting the truth in a lucid, level-headed way and at least get the opposing view out there. How much good it will do is a good question. What I do know, however, is that doing nothing won't change anything. Their own book tells them that they should know the truth and that the truth shall set them free. That would be great if they actually wanted to be free, but like I've said before, The shackles of evangelical faith are heavy and they are strong and they leave marks long after a person breaks free. This kind of thinking won't be changed by an offering of facts. It won't be changed by offering better messaging. It'll change by shutting down the voices of the messengers that sow division and create chaos. This is, once again, not a matter of free speech. It's a matter of silencing the rabble yelling fire in the crowded theaters of evangelical thought and not providing an audience for conspiracy theorists to reach. That means demanding that platforms like Facebook, Twitter, 4chan, and Reddit provide more than the unconvincing lip service they respond with whenever things like Pizzagate happen. At the end of the day, no one who runs those platforms actually cares about their role in the game until it starts impacting their bottom line or until their inaction becomes the target of too much conversation and negative press, and I'll add in there, or until they find their asses in court. Mm-hmm. Then it's time to disable accounts. Then it's time to stop selling the pillow pushers wares. Then it's time to distance from negative influencers. And while it may seem hopeless, Keep in mind that there are plenty of us out there who once thought like this, at least on some level. We were easily duped, convinced, and motivated to believe things without evidence, and we did. We also changed, and we're not the only ones who can. Stay vocal. Stay mobile. Don't be afraid to present counter-arguments or be the voice of reason in the conversation. Somewhere out there right now, A devote evangelical is pouring over all of this and starting to think that maybe remaining part of a religion that breeds these kinds of thoughts and actions is a bad idea. Somewhere out there, there's a pastor who sees this issue for what it is and has the guts to admit the root causes. And thank you, Pastor Lawrence, for being that person. Somewhere out there, a middle-aged couple in Massachusetts is pumping out content from their dining room table that raises awareness of these problems and is addressing them every week in the hopes that along the way, one or two people out there might understand the dangers inherent in belief and start taking their lives back. Our voices matter. Reason matters. Truth matters. 
And it's when we get committed to finding and embracing the truth, when we add our voices to the growing throng of non-religious, free-thinking, secularist human people out there who want better for our country and the lives of the people who live here than anything QAnon will ever be able to deliver long term, that we will start seeing that all-important shift in the direction of rational thought that leads to people getting and staying unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.